I'm Lance Key, co-host of Get Inspired and Innovate, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and today I'm talking with Susie Harder, M-A-C-C-C-S-L-P. She helps kids who stutter. But not only are we going to talk about her work world, we're also going to talk about something that she's created called the Junior Authors Program, where kids from around the world are helping to create a book that's proceeds will go to help children who lost their homes in the 2020 Central California Creek Fire. Susie has amazing passion for working with kids. I can't thank you enough for being here. Thanks for listening. Lots to learn. And, oh yeah, don't forget to share and subscribe and review. (laughs) Enjoy. Hey, I almost forgot to tell you. Listen for Susie at the end of the episode to tell you about a page that you as a listener to the podcast can go to for a gift. Have fun. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. Now here's Steve with this week's show. Susie Harder, M-A-C-C-C-S-L-P, is an experienced clinician who devotes much of her passion to working with children who stutter. She works in private practice in the school setting to help support children and provides workshops and consulting-based support to school districts across California. Susie has a history of designing and building successful programs. During her time in Fresno Unified School District from 2011 to 2015, Susie designed and piloted a a framework for 100 elementary schools where specialty services successfully reduced student speech therapy time up to five years. Most recently, 2020, when the Central California Creek Fire started and children from her hometown lost their homes, Susie started brainstorming how to best support these kids. When she couldn't find enough resources, she simply decided to create it. Within a week, she had written a children's book themed around what these kids had just experienced, found an editor, taken a course on children's books, and started looking internationally to find the best illustrator. Her child development skills guided her towards sharing this inspirational knowledge with kids. The Junior Authors Program engages students from around the world in collaboratively writing a children's book, which will be sold to raise funds for families that lost their homes in the California Creek Fire. Not only does this help students participate in a meaningful project, but the storyline of the book itself is written to help children heal and process their experience of losing their home in the fire. Thus, she created a unique platform to reinvent how children connect with literacy and books. Through the Junior Authors Program, children across the world vote to decide characters, setting, and story details of a book as it's being created. Children get to see behind the scenes and connect with her through fun video posts and Ask the Author live events and are empowered by contributing to the content of the book from rough draft to published book on Amazon. Susie is full of positive energy, encouragement, and is an invaluable resource for anyone she works with. Susie, thanks for joining us today. Say hi to everyone. Hi, Steve. I'm so grateful to be here with you and your listeners. Well, glad to have you on. And uh, let's start by talking about you first. What, is, mm-hmm. what inspired you to seek help um, for kids who, I mean, to help kids who stutter? Yes, I think that there's something so neat about anyone who is educationally focused and kind of where those things end up taking you in your journey of helping kids. And 
So I was in grad school for speech pathology and I had a professor who was phenomenal. And I think any of us who are lucky enough to have a really wonderful mentor, uh, you know, can kind of fondly look back and recognize how empowering and how uh, life-changing it is. And so Kristen Camilla was that person for me at Northwestern in Chicago. And she grew up as a person who stuttered and became a specialist and is now uh, I mean, nationwide recognized, but internationally recognized as one of the premier people. And I had the chance to work with her during the whole time that I lived in Chicago. So after, after grad school uh, for about five years. And then when I moved back to California, that was really my, my drive and my passion. And, um, you know, each you know, kind of like within the specialized medical field, there's hubs of areas that are really co concentrated with specialists. And so um, Chicago was one of those. And so I was really spoiled with how many colleagues of mine knew so much about really great effective therapy and working with kids who stutter. And then when I moved back to Central California, um, the you know the collection of specialists was different and there wasn't anybody and i thought well i really would like to help the community in some way and so my practice central valley stuttering center is aimed at supporting speech pathologists and doing you know professional development and courses and and consulting based services and then i work directly with kids teens i do groups um a lot of parent coaching you know just kind of across the board whatever supports are needed and the overall philosophy is you know, we're making talking as easy as we can for kids, but really it's the big picture of communication and confidence. And so I get to have so many wonderful conversations with kids and have one-on-one -on -one time with children. Um, it's just, it's such a beautiful way to be able to spend my day. That's very cool. I can imagine. Nice. The, uh, so, so tell us about the work you do at the Central Valley Stuttering Center. So as I mentioned, we or I get to do a lot of different pieces. I think some of the ones that I'm most excited about are we have a mentorship program where it's kind of a staggered mentorship where, you know, kids that are in first and second grade are mentored by kids that are third, fourth, fifth grade. And, you know, it kind of staggers all the way up through middle school and into high school and college. And so if I have a high school group, then I have my clients who are college age come as the mentors. And there's such, you know, kind of this, <laughs> I mean, if you can picture, you know, a child kind of walking around with their head down and they walk in, they're kind of like head up. I've got my strut. Um, there's just this really neat camaraderie and confidence building moment that happens from having the opportunity to be a mentor for someone younger. And, and you know, it's neat to hear them talk aloud because how they talk about what they might do on the soccer field if, you know, talking's hard that day and they want to call, you know, how a 19 year old describes that is going to be much different than what I do from a clinical perspective. And so there's, you know, there's a lot of those neat components that I love. We have, um, I designed a really effective early intervention program that's geared toward parent coaching and really giving parents ideas and tools for how to play and be and kind of all of those very real life moments of when you're in the middle of something and your child's trying to talk to you and they're stuck and what do you do and and so there's you know just this kind of concentrated amount of sessions that um, so many parents afterwards will say I learned you know not only did my child 
you know, move through their period of stuttering and, and now they're normally fluent, but I learned how to play with my child or, you know, my child was so quiet and they weren't talking and I didn't realize my child is so funny and their personality came out or they just made their first friend at school and, or the teachers noticing all of a sudden that they kind of have this sense of confidence. And uh, so there's something really neat about being someone that's almost like the fun aunt, but in a clinical way <laughs> you get cool. to have, you know, they listen different than if you're mom and dad. And I can say that from, you know, my own, uh, experience of having my own, you know, I have a three and a six-year-old and it's different when it comes from someone else. And so I get to be that support person and, um, and be a safe place for kids to, to kind of grow and to feel supported. Very cool. Very cool. That's, you know, and you're, and you're very well, right. I understand what you're talking about having uh, two sons of my own. And it's like, yes, everybody else is the expert, but not father. So, you know, dad. <laughs> and isn't it so funny, you know, as someone in education, you have so much knowledge and so much experience and, and, you know, really, quite honestly, so many notes to self from the parents that you've worked with on, you know, kind of what to do and what not to do and yes. how you should be and kind of what, what this type of characteristic looks like, you know, 10 years down the road. And it might be cute now, but is that cute 10 years from now? Um, you know, and so you have all of these experiences and you think, you know, gosh, my kids are going to love me. And luckily right now, my kids are still small enough where they still <laughs> do. Uh, I grew up as the daughter of my mom was the high school math teacher oh, and she did, you know, calculus and, you know, kind of the hard stuff. And she was very strict. And as a student, I was, I mean, I think back, I was ashamed to be her daughter, not because she was, you know, but I was like, gosh, she's so hard. I kind of just want to apologize to everyone that I'm around, you know, and just say, was she nice to you? I'm sorry. That's <laughs> funny. It's so different. If she taught elementary school, I would have thought, oh, my mom's at the school all the time. <laughs> that's, that's, um, that's funny. So, you know, it's, it is, it's so different. And so, you know, I always think for my kids, I'd love to kind of have a, a web of uh, mentors, I guess, in a sense, or kind of those, those educators that you can reach out to, to say, can you have this very real conversation? Because it will sound different coming from you. And, can, you know, I do that for my friends, children all the time. They just come in and we kind of have a, let's talk shop and let's kind of organize this thought a little bit and this plan. And um, it doesn't come from a disciplinary way. It comes from, you know, I'm hearing you. I want to validate and let's think about the overall implications of what this decision might mean. And, you know, I think, gosh, I'm really going to be in for a rude awakening when my kids, I try to have these wonderful conversations and they're like, mom, oh my gosh. Nice. <laughs> just, just know that when they get to high school, um, it's great to have that plan in operation because then the, the <laughs> I'll start now. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Cause that's, uh, that's something that'll pay off for you when you got those people that go, Can you remember what I asked you about that? Can you, that? yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> nope, already in. had it for you. What are you <laughs> So, yeah. Good stuff. That is, um, yeah. One of the things that uh, um, I got to ask you, cause I hear you talking about the different things that are going on and working with the kids. And um, so, so do you have one of those most memorable moments from working with kids that you hope that you never forget, you know, something that's, that you just think about, you want to tell that story a lot. Is, is it uh, one of those? I have so many. And, you know, I think that the transition into all teletherapy during the COVID period made me really appreciate 
how many moments I have because although I've continued to work with all of my students, it just feels different. And so at the end of the day, it doesn't have that same amazing, rewarding, I just help save the world kind of day. Um, so it does make me appreciate that I have incredible conversations with both parents and kids all the time. And kids are so funny. One of the things that comes to mind was a uh, three-year-old that I saw and mom said, you know, we were playing and I don't know if they were at the park or, you know, backyard with a friend. And she said, you know, Hey, so-and-so it's time to go. We're going to go see uh, Miss Susie. And he said, <clears throat> he talked to his friend, you know, it's these little three-year-old conversation. He's like, yeah, Jack, I got to go see Dr. Susie. Don't worry. She doesn't doctor me. We just play <laughs> or play. She's my play doctor. <laughs> she's my play doctor. And I thought that's such a sweet way of thinking about, you know, the lens of how a child perceives their time with awesome. an educator and whether that's a preschool based, you know, program and, and that's a preschool teacher or a speech pathologist, but that everything is so play-based that, you know, that idea and concept of being a play doctor, I wish that that's what my letters said after my name. <laughs> That's a really great title. And then just recently, one of the, uh, he's a third grader, he came in and it was a similar situation to what we were just talking about with a friend's child kind of needed that little pull you aside, have a conversation moment. And um, so we have, you know, chat and then he came back the next week and he said, you know what, Susie, I don't really understand what your job is, but is it to make people the best versions of themselves? And I thought, gosh, it's just, if I could, <laughs> yes, sure. That's amazing. <laughs> well, you, you know, I thought, that's just, again, one of those things that we, when we work with kids, obviously that's our goal. And so much of it is filled with the duties of what we need to be doing, whether that's curriculum based or the politics of a school district or uh, for speech pathologists and psychologists, it's a lot of like admin type paperwork and IAPs. And it's like, there's so much stuff there. And then when you strip all of that away and you look at what is it that kids are feeling in that time with you. And uh, that was just a really wonderful moment. That's very cool. Thanks for telling us about that. That's and you're right. You, know, you never know what kids are going to say, and to explain um, their inter their interactions. I love that uh, idea of that title. You got to put that on a you know placard that comes after your name or something. I know that's much better than letters. Don't we? <laughs> exactly. Hey, I think I understand that one. <laughs> that's funny. Good stuff. So, so what are the things that? I mean, you interact with, you know, you talked about this a little bit, you interact with, with parents and kids and helping parents understand their kids and so forth in different ways. I mean, you know, one of the things that uh, as a, you know, I'm guessing lots of this is coming out of being a speech pathologist, you know, um, and uh, I what I'd like to do is let's kind of shift into that world for a minute. So let's talk mm -hmm. a little bit about those types of things. Um, could you talk about a daily interaction tool that promotes healthy parent-child bonding? Oh, yes. And what a great question, a great segment, because it ties directly to things that are speech pathology related, but really easily adaptable to everyday routines with parent-child that have nothing to do with speech and language development. They're just kind of great pieces to put in. Um, and I'll frame this as these are tools that I use 
so often with parents of kids, usually between two to six, within some of my early intervention sessions that are across the board, just great communication strategies. And so one of the things that we do is we create a one-on-one -on -one talking time and it's really fascinating to me. And, and again, I have a three and a six-year-old, so I know how busy it is when we're at home. I think because I have one-on-one -on -one time with kids all the time, I recognize the need for that. Um, but it doesn't always present itself unless you're consciously and intentionally putting it in. And so I always have parents start with the very first thing is they're carving out 10 minutes a day to just have one-on-one -on -one time with their child and we name it. So it's, you know, mom and Hudson special time or whatever it is. And we come up with a place for it. And, you know, sometimes it's kids taking a bath mat and they get to go around the house and wherever they set it down, that's where they have their special time or it's a flashlight in the closet or it's, you know, underneath the dining table, uh, but giving them kind of a sense of ownership about how that goes and, and that bond that really is there from it being a predictable time that they get to spend together. Um, and it's just, it's so fun. So for the parents that are including that into their routine for, you know, the purpose of working towards stuttering, when they get to the point where they don't need it, they always email and call or say, you know, Jack will not let us stop. He loves our special talking time and we don't need it anymore, but we just keep going and we keep doing it. And that I think the principle within that of carving out time and you know it's similar to what we all know about relationships right they they thrive when you really intentionally work toward having that time and that bond and having time with your child doesn't mean that you're at home at the same time um, because so often we're thinking and doing something while they're talking at us and so even just taking a few moments and you know, again, this comes from someone who's busy and has young kids and it's not always realistic that it would happen, but two or three times a day when your child's talking at you and you notice you're in the middle of doing something else, turning your body, getting on your knees and being eye level with them and just listening. I mean, there's such value in showing kids how a conversation works and that we're not also on our phone while we're having a conversation or also trying to do this. Um, I talk a lot about the concept of talking turns and teaching kids really young, you know, not from, not necessarily from a manners perspective, but just the conversational turn taking and kind of how that goes. And if kids are trying to talk at a time that's not an opportune time, they're not going to be heard. And so if we want them to be heard, we need to teach them kind of the ins and outs of how that works. And so um, one of my favorite things is when, because <laughs> I use these things with my kids at home too. And uh, when we're leaving in the morning and, you know, my son is, you know, he, he's kind of the, the king of, if something could be a three word response, he wants to give you a thousand and eighty seven words. And it's usually in the times that we're in a hurry and we're kind of like, we need to go. Okay. 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 You know, <laughs> So, you know, and I use my hands to show them, you know, I know that you're so excited to tell me about this. This is the time that's 
really time for a short talking turn and I hear you having a really big idea. Let's figure out a time to hear your really great idea. This is not the time for a long talking turn. So if you want to give me a part of it or, you know, kind of helping kids even read the nonverbals of that, you know, and like if you cross someone in the hallway, is that a time that you're really going to sit and have this long conversation and what types of things you know, non-verbally are you paying attention to that will give you clues as to kind of like, how is your conversation going? <laughs> and so, you know, there's, there's so many neat things about building communication skills and, and especially with, and it's a whole side topic with, you know, kind of technology and screen time, but, um, you know, with so many devices being kind of a main source of how people are connecting right now for those times that are person to person communication, us really making those matter and being intentional about teaching children eye contact, teaching children how to read body language, um, teaching children how to stop and listen. You know, we <laughs> implemented a new rule at my house about, you know, same room talking. And so if you're talking to me from the other room, you know, it's kind of like, <laughs> I can't hear you. You need to come in this room. So we just started, we called it something. So it's, you know, that's not same room talking. Nice. I like he that. comes around the car. Okay, mom, what I was saying is, okay, thanks. Now I can hear you. I like that. Um, but, you know, just kind of taking those bigger concepts of what makes someone a really great communicator and let's break that down into really manageable pieces and then praise those. And it's not delivered in a corrective way. It's not kind of like, no, stop, you know, you're not looking at me. You're not looking at me. It's more of, oh, this is a time for eye contact. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. There it is. All right. Okay. Keep going. And, you know, kind of that skill of embedding it within a positive and uh, a praise-based element versus it being kind of like you're nagging and correcting. So, yeah, I'd say some of those pieces are really, really beneficial for, for my relationship with my kids and communication at home, but also for all the parents that I work with and their children. Oh, that's good stuff. That's great stuff, actually. You know, for, uh, the first thing you made me think about is, uh, um, I think my wife still has those talks with me. Is this the time right now to have this conversation? You know, <laughs> it's like, right. hmm, okay, you know. Actually, you have a good point. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, even we talk too about, you know, parents being uh, aware of that. And so oftentimes it's, you know, one of the parents is coming home from work and it's kind of like the chaos of kids are excited and this and this. And for a child who stutters, that's a really vulnerable time for a lot of disfluency and a lot of struggle. And so when we look at shifting those, it's from a clinical perspective, uh, but really there, you know, so one of the families that I work with, they just recently started doing, um, they switch off days, but it's like one-on-one. -on -one. So they have two children. And so it's like dad, you know, takes child one, mom takes child two, they each have five minutes, they switch. And then they start kind of the rest of their evening or, uh, you know, there, I mean, there's so many ways to do it, but us just being aware too of when we're feeling overwhelmed and saying, you know, I need, I haven't even set any of my stuff down. <laughs> Can you give right. me a second? Right. Like, <laughs> instead of just kind of nodding and smiling and yeah, yeah, yeah. That, you know, right now I have the opportunity to either listen and really listen or nod and smile and kind of push away whatever communication is coming at me. And if I really am wanting my child to feel heard, then I owe it to them to tell them when I'm actually listening and when I'm not. Um, I mean, kids are so funny. There's so many times I tell my son, you know, honey, 
my ears are done listening to this story, but you can keep talking. I'm just not doing any more listening. And he just keeps it. It's like, well, I actually, at least I told him. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. It's funny. It's, I, you, I coached uh, for a long time from little kids through high school um, soccer. And when you coach very young kids, it's interesting because you're kind of a cheerleader and a, and a, an instructor and a, you know, and parent all rolled up into one. And, you know, and, I, and you're making me think of a couple of kids I had one who was really amazed by things that crawled on the ground. And so, you know, you're in the middle of something going on on the field. And he's like, coach, 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 you know, look at this. It's like, look, that's good, but you're playing the game right now. All right. Can you, can you shift? That topic way? shift. Yep. <laughs> right. And uh, another one who was fascinated by uh, things that flew through the air. So, you know, it's like, and it just at that moment, that's when they want to talk about what's flying in the air, so or on the ground. That's but so funny. You know, other than the soccer ball, by the way. <laughs> well, that kind of also makes me think that children innately are so programmed to talk about their preferred topic, and so that's something that we talk about so often as speech pathologists, and in that coaching of kind of um, you know just general communication skills. But because you like it, doesn't mean everybody else likes it. So you might want to do a check-in question. You're like hey, are you into baseball before I start talking about baseball for 45 minutes? Or, you know, kind of, and so we talk about, you know, from kind of the social side of things, establishing common areas of interest and kind of identifying that before you start diving into something. And, um, you know, that if it's your preferred topic, that's great. You might be able to give a little bit. But also you need to share turns, just like when you're playing, just like anything else, the conversation, you have to share turns. You can't have the whole conversation yourself. You know, it has to switch. And I mean, sometimes we'll go as far as um, my mentor in Chicago, Kristen Camella, would use, you know, concrete objects to represent it. And so it's like, we'll pass a ball back and forth. And it's kind of like, or, you know, one of the dollar store microphones and, um, you know, anything to say, okay, okay. <laughs> you know? kind of like that we do the kind of the kids version of a wrap it up box of kind of like okay you're running out of time and you know I you're in a safe place and I can tell you that because we have this really strong great relationship and I'm kind of coaching you in that sense but if I was one of your friends right now I'd be totally checked out and I'd be thinking I don't really want to stop talk to this person very much anymore this is super boring to me and you know again that safe place of being able to learn from um from someone on something that's, you know, I think communication is so important. I love, I love that. It's, it's, it's cool that, the, you know, kind of given a, you know, the type of skills that you work with and you, you focus on and giving people an idea that, uh, cause I got a feeling there's a lot of listeners are going, Hey, hmm, I think my spouse, like I said before, <laughs> could use a lesson in this area. So nice. <laughs> um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about something called, um, You've kind of talked. You kind of touched on this a little bit, but about reframing situations and reflecting your observations. That can be, you know, how, how can that be life changing for a child? The, you know, I really operate under the perspective that how we talk about things with kids is how they're self defining and how how they're kind of remembering situations. And so, one of the stories that I. Um, came to me was about my son. We were driving around the neighborhood and 
the power wheels are, are like the little cars that kids get to drive. And yes. so he is him and my daughter, they drive around in the Jeep and they think they're so cool. And um, so it was my daughter's first time driving it and she's three and she drove, I mean, she was driving well for a little while. And then she, I think she was kind of like looking at the flowers off to the side and drove off the curve and uh, curb and we're still in our neighborhood, but she drove right into the road and there was a car coming and it was enough to where as a mom, I had that moment of like, oh gosh. And Hudson ran because he wasn't in the car. He ran and grabbed the Jeep. And I thought, you know, gosh, that was so amazing. And he goes, mom, that car almost ran over my Jeep. And I know you're not going to buy us a new one. <laughs> and I was like, um, <clears throat> also your sister. And so I thought, okay, right now, and I, there's a thousand examples of this, but just of the one that came to mind, uh, right now I have the opportunity to either lecture him about that and to talk about the safety of his sister and protection of our family members and all of that, or let's try a little reframe and see how it goes. And so I said, you know, I really, really love that you are protecting the Jeep, your sister, you know, that's going to be something that you're really, really good at. Um, you're going to notice, you know, when people need help and when you need to step in and you didn't even think about it, you just went and you saved, you know, blah, blah. So then the next day he's explaining it to grandma and he's like, grandma, you'd be so proud. Yesterday I saved Allie and you know what? I didn't even think about it. I was just like a hero right away. I went and saved her. <laughs> but, you know, in a sense, I kind of wanted to roll my eyes, but I also <laughs> thought that, that's so neat that the power of reframing kind of what happened in that situation and, and giving it back in a way that is the really constructive version of it, that there's you know, such power in that, um, you know, and also just being able to tell kids and show kids what they're good at and almost kind of building an affirmation based conversations. But, you know, I noticed that you were doing blank. Wow. That really shows, you know, whatever characteristic that might be. Um, and, you know, I think we tend to talk to kids a lot about taking something negative and making something positive out of it and us being able to show that. And so when we get into it, but talking about the junior authors program, I mean, that's kind of like the ultimate effort in, you know, kind of this collaboration of things community-wide of taking something that is really destructive and terrible and traumatic. And instead of talking about resiliency and talking about what you should do and what you should appreciate and kind of a lecture-based scenario, let's move that into a reframe where we're engaging kids in something positive, not telling them to be positive. So. Mm -hmm. I like that. That's powerful. That's because <laughs> it's, it's easier to be the all telling. <laughs> doesn't, necessarily, doesn't mean it works, but it's, well, you gotta mean, I think I gotta think this through. I can't, it's, you know, and it's so, I feel like I, can picture myself in some situations having, you know, what I think is this really great, you know, you should or blah, blah, blah. And I kind of have this kind of voice in the back of my head. Has that worked before? You know, I keep <laughs> saying this, but is, has that worked? Is that really my best tool that I know of and all the things that I know? Is that the best? No, it's the thing that came first to mind, but it's not the best thing. <laughs> and no, that doesn't have a history of being very helpful. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, um, I want to use this as a way of segueing into, um, we're, get, we're getting to uh, what you're doing to help the children 
in, from the fire. So share with us a little bit about what happened during the Central California Creek Fire. Yeah, uh, so I am from a small mountain community in Central California, and Toll House is the name of it, just like the chocolate chips. And there's you. a really wonderful history behind, you know, we're on the side of a mountain and there was flumes, you know, that brought the logs down and we were the Toll House that, you know, kind of went up and, um, and it community there has so many wonderful people in history and like I said my mom was a teacher there um it, you know and there's my sister and I were always outside we have so many great memories and so I live I lived in Chicago for a while and now I'm back in the area but I live about 45 minutes away from that so I don't live in that city right now but um as the fire started you know it's it's really crazy how fires work and and there's so many components of kind of how things go certain ways and um so for this specific fire it spread very quickly and so as people were evacuating um you know most of the people that evacuated that i had spoken with you know really were not thinking there's something really that's going to happen to my house. It was more of, we'll follow procedure. We'll, you know, get our animals and evacuate, but not really let's take everything that we would ever want. Um, one of my good, good friends, her mom, you know, it's a house that we had slumber parties at growing up. Um, her mom, you know, brought her cat and her cat box and her cat food and lunch for that week. And, you know, I think clothes for that week. And then, you know, I mean, just so tragically, her house was gone. And it was kind of like, oh, my, my whole life of memories. Wait, what? Um, and so it was a massively destructive fire. Um, and the kind of toll on residences was just really, really um, intense for the community. I mean, the firefighters were amazing. So anyhow, um, you know, I feel like I could go on and on about how amazing the firefighters are, the community. Uh, when it came time to, you know, it was kind of like a day or two after evacuations and really in the heat of everything. Uh, I think all of us that are connected to the community were kind of thinking, okay, how can I best help? You know, we had all donated a ton of stuff. The donation centers were full. They didn't want anything else, uh, you know, so that it kind of left a lot of us like, okay, well, you know, does someone need a place to live? You know, can we help in whatever way? And um, there were so many Facebook boards of, you know, different people that were helping with animal transportation because there's there's a lot of people with, you know, cattle and livestock and, you know, kind of like these giant animals. It's not just you throw them in your car and you drive down the hill and horses. And um, so I, within a day, that next morning before my kids woke up, I wrote this really sweet book about a girl and her dog and the dog loses his dog house in a fire. And I really wanted kids to have something that would show their journey in a very age appropriate way and would lend itself to these types of conversations that would be healing and kind of a social emotional support to what's happening and, and then really focus on the rebuild. And so the focus of the story is very much on the reframe and the positive 
you know, um, community togetherness, you know, what, what that looks like after and that it's different, but there's some special pieces there. And one of the themes within the book is, um, it's, what is it? It's different now because it is new. It's special though, because we made it for you. And so just this concept of it can be different and it can also be special. And, um, so then I, I mean, I, I work with books all the time. I work with kids all the time, but I've never made a book. And so I, as I was looking into the publishing process was, and I think any educator who's listening would think that, you know, there's so much behind the scenes and it captured me. And I was kind of like, I, there's no way I can do this for kids. I want to do this with kids. This is so much interesting to be able to show them the behind the scenes of all of these decisions that are being made and, and involve them in the decisions. And so I launched a voting based platform where kids locally, and then, um, you know, it ended up being, you know, nationwide and then across the world that everyone can contribute to the making of the book. And then of course the proceeds, you know, go to the kids who lost homes. Um, but the concept of junior authors is really founded in the idea that, you know, we're facilitating togetherness and collaboration, um, you know, from, you know, on a worldwide level, which is so neat to have kids participating in that way. And even when I update the map for the kids locally, when I show, you know, the world map of all the little pings of where people are participating from, and it's such a nice, just supportive kind of warm hug from everyone that's around and it doesn't fix anything but it it shows support so we have an event coming up surrounding Earth Day and reforestation and the, the kids who lost books are the junior authors and they get to sign the books and sell them and get you know like the big cheesy check from the mayor and you know just all of the fun things of highlighting kids and putting them in the position to to feel really empowered and good and um, you know, and then it kind of went into, you know, and because I have a voting based platform now I get to ask kids what they want, which is fabulous because, you know, I don't have to worry about thinking about it. I just ask them. So while the illustrator was building out some of the illustrations, we first voted on characters and settings. So for instance, it was you know, like three dogs. And so the kids got to pick which dog and then the dog house and I got to pick the dog house and the girl and um, some of the little support characters. And we built out with character development lessons and, uh, you know, and then when we were developing the setting and they chose the things for the backyard and the tree and um, which toys she has. And, you know, we, we went from, yeah, I mean, and we developed some writing prompts to go along with this, even compare contrast, you know, just things that are easily embedded in the classroom and, and that really promote conversation about the topic. Uh, so I sent out this poll of, you know, okay, well, the, the illustrator is making our book now, you know, she's drawing all the pictures. What is it you guys want in the meantime? And ever, more votes and we want more worksheets. I was kind of like, nice. <laughs> I've never heard a child ask for more worksheets. Okay. <laughs> um, but they all include the characters. And so, you know, it's really fun watching children be so engaged and with everything being, you know, either a hybrid schedule or remote learning right now. Um, I have so many parents that are saying that they, their child, the only way they get them to finish their packet for school is that they print off the worksheets that have to do with the book 
and that that's their motivator and that their kids are, you know, kind of like, okay, well, just let me get to those Charlie and Ava worksheets. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> so, um, so it's been really fun because now we have a curriculum developer on our team to help support and kind of bridge that gap between what it is that teachers are wanting and needing and what would be, um, you know, supportive for, for their classrooms and for whether that's station work or, or writing journals or, you know, whatever that might be. Um, and then we have kind of a, a subcategory for speech pathologists. And so, you know, kind of creating those activities that is kind of like, I know that I love activities that are ready to go. And, and you know, as a speech pathologist with my online sessions, the voting platform has been the most fun thing I've done on Zoom because kids, when, the moment I log on for a session, you know, they're kind of like, okay, did you get the results back? Because what I was thinking is, you know, just like it launches us into this great conversation. Um, we have, you know, principals across the area are hosting Zooms to do the voting. We, I mean, it's just, it's so fun how things have kind of come together and, and that really is embedded within you know, literacy building and within, you know, state standards, um, you know, and kind of all of those really important pieces, but then also the philanthropy concept of kids helping kids and, and the character building. And there's a lot of fun conversations that I've had with kids. That's very cool. And I, you know, if I know if you go to the junior authors website, you, you have some of those uh, videos there that I, I wanted to ask you what those, yes. those talks have to be fun because. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You know, so yes, weekly we host the Ask the Author Live and really it started from kids really, you know, they had so many questions and I thought, well, I think part of the fun of this behind the scenes of making a book is let's show them as much as we can and how neat that at the end when a child is holding this book that they will have an experience with it. You know, they'll have a memory of being involved or this is the, you know, tree that I picked or this is the blank that I picked. And, um, and so as they were asking these questions, I mean, some of the questions were so hilarious and, um, you know, they want to know about Ava's parents and they want to know about, you know, well, what's Charlie's favorite kind of food. And so we did a poll on that and it came back that it was, um, ice cream flavored treats. Or, I mean, it was nice. just there, nice. you know, but there's so much character development that's got into it. One of the kids asked, it was right after Halloween. Um, how was, how was Ava's Halloween? And she was just so, you know, sincere in her question. And I said, well, I let's find out. And so we put a poll out there and we had everyone just kind of like an open-ended five question survey of, you know, who she was with and what candy was her favorite, and, you know, just very sweet and innocent things. And then I collected all of those and I made a video for all of them. Of, okay. According to you, here's how her Halloween was. And they were like, this is the best. Okay. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it really is cool because it's like I could just see those conversations happening. And you know, this kind of lends itself to having a prequel and a prequel before yeah. the prequel. And, right. you know, so. But, yeah. And I mean, kids, you know, don't hold back. So they're like, okay, are we going to do another book? <laughs> That's sure. actually what I was getting ready to ask you. So this, this does <laughs> sure, mean you're going do to do a whole series, uh, I'm thinking. So, well, and, you know, the, the whole project itself has really. Um, it helps me from being a perfectionist because there is nothing perfect about it. It is really that all of us as a team are learning as we go. And, you know, I think that 
there, there's a couple of ways of approaching that, right? Like I want to create this really polished program um, for these purposes. And when I pull back, I think that's not really what I am aiming to do. My aim is to be very real. Um, you know, like for instance, the other day I had an editing appointment and she gave me so much great feedback. And then I sat there and looked at all the pages across my floor and was kind of sitting there for 20 minutes. Like, Oh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> no, I think that's important for kids to see that, that, you know, I am motivated. I do want to do this, but I did have a moment of feeling overwhelmed and kind of like that that's real. And, um, you know, I don't know exactly what the next book looks like. I have a lot of different ideas. We have a lot of concepts out there. Uh, it will definitely be philanthropy driven in whatever way we go. Um, but, you know, I mean, yeah, kids don't hold back. They just, <laughs> they want to know. And, and I'm very honest. And, uh, and so that's the Ask the Author Lives are so funny because I have no idea what's going to happen. That's, and it's what makes it the best. <laughs> that has to, because you just, it's, you know, it's planned up until the first question, I would imagine. <laughs> you know, like a couple of weeks ago, they asked, you know, can we have a reptile in there? I thought, that is so random. And I am deathly afraid of snakes. And so we talked about, you know, kind of just in the area, how, how that presents itself and that, you know, rattlesnakes. And, you know, I mean, it always builds into a conversation, but um, <clears throat> spoiler alert, there are no snakes in the book. Because oh, no. <laughs> I can accommodate a lot of things. I really, that's, that's something I don't feel comfortable doing. <laughs> that's funny. So, yeah. So what, you know, one of the things that's really cool and you've talked about this is that, I mean, as, as a, as they're listening, it's obvious that you encourage the kids to get involved and share what they're thinking and talk about um, so that they can produce this book. Um, what, how did that, Where'd that idea just come from? I mean, because not a lot of people would give that, uh, like you said, you've got ideas spread across your floor. You probably have, you know, any number of things that could go out of sequence and come back again to the sequence. Living in my brain can be a lot of work sometimes. (laughs) Um, You know, I think that this idea would never have come to be had it not just been so rooted in I will do whatever I can to help. And um, the, you know, I mean, just learning about it and thinking I have to involve kids in this was really kind of the catalyst of it, but I didn't know exactly how I wanted that to look. And so even a few days after I wrote the storyline, I was already kind of like, okay, we want, I really would like the kids who lost homes to be the integral piece of this. And here's kind of how that would look. And I built out this event and, you know, (laughs) one of my friends was kind of like, you're getting in really deep. It's been like two days <laughs> and you have a job and you have kids. I'm like, I know, but I can just, I can picture it. And I really see there being so much meaning behind this. And so I just kept plugging away. And then when, you know, so one of the kind of turning points was actually the, my son was doing distance learning at the time and, and still is, but um, he is a conscientious student and not at all on distance learning. <laughs> it's just, I was a train wreck of a child for, for a while. And um, 
while I was, it was one of the mornings he had a complete meltdown about doing his packet work. And, you know, I turned off the zoom because then he gets embarrassed because he's crying and the zoom is on, even though I can't hear him. And, you know, they're telling him to get on the screen and, you know, just a whole mess of things. And, um, and so really what he wanted to do, he's like, mom, I just, instead of this packet, can we please, please, please make a lemonade stand? And I was like, what? No, you are, <laughs> no, that is not what we're doing right now. You know, in my, that's in my head what I thought. And out loud, I said, honey, I love your idea. Also, this isn't the right time for a lemonade stand. Let's plan a time for that. Um, well, okay, how about right now at break? Like we have seven minutes. Okay, well, we don't have any lemons and we don't have lemonade. So let's go to the store. Okay, so in seven minutes, like, is that a realistic plan for right now, buddy? <laughs> it's like, so then he just is sobbing, saying, the only thing I want to do, mom, it's all, and I just make this lemonade stand. And I was watching him, and in my mind, I kind of wanted to roll my eyes and kind of think, okay, I'm done being supportive. I'm just going to tell him how it is. <laughs> and I stayed the course of being supportive. And what ended up coming out of it was, gathered things from around the house for him to sell for a quarter. And so he got all of his Hot Wheels together and some granola bars. And my three-year-old daughter put used crayons in a cup and sold them for a cent. And my son spent an hour. And mind you, this is right after he would not do anything reading or writing based <laughs> in his kindergarten. Um, spent an hour designing his sign, his poster board sign. And was really concerned about all the letters and placement and handwriting and spelling. And then he wanted to build out some things and he wanted to make kind of like a secondary menu and split up and then categorize. And then we were talking math stuff because of, you know, he wanted to make a deal. So if you buy one, it's 25 cents, but then what would the deal be if you buy two? And there was just all of this learning and engagement that happened. And it really kind of shed light on with the situation right now, kids are not getting the opportunity to connect with their learning with something meaningful and something relevant to them. And, um, and, you know, we know that we're all trying our best and is there a way that we can make something meaningful? And so I took his whole, he was in a K, in a K one combo, but I took the whole first grade packet and just made it in a very similar way with all the characters on it and gave it to him. And then he was kind of like, cool, this is fun. And I thought, gosh, you know, kids are so amazing like that. It's just those little things of, is this meaningful? You know, and same thing with my speech therapy sessions, you know, it's kind of like, okay, do we log on and just do a session or are we doing something meaningful? And so when we pull up the votes, it's compare and contrast and we're, you know, having these conversations built out or opinion-based, you know, whatever that might be. Um, about the topics, but it is happening right now. It's not this kind of canned thing that I'm asking them to do for no reason. Um, so it, it's been fun watching kids feel attached to it in that way. Um, I mean, I have kids, I was at an event, um, a COVID appropriate event, and I was walking around and these, you know, kiddos came up and they were just so excited. When's our next vote? And, you know, one of the things that I was wondering, and it was, it's just so fun. It feels kind of nostalgic in a sense. Like there's this very wholesome project that's happening. That's about a real book, not an ebook, uh, you know, and it's, and it's real. And uh, so there's just been, like I said, a lot of 
neat engagement across the board. That's so cool. So cool. It's, and the energy coming from you right now is so awesome because I can just imagine, you know, it's like, okay, I know I have this other world over here, but can we just stay right on, on this book? This is good. This is good. I like that. That's so cool. I, you know, one of the things I'd like you to do is, uh, um, as we're, we're getting close to wrapping up now, and can you just kind of finish up by telling us uh, where people can learn more about uh, Junior Authors Program and, uh, and also about uh, um, you know, what you do in, in your uh, Central Valley uh, Stuttering Center? And uh, you know, if they wanted to reach out and learn more, connect, whatever, um, where should I send them? Thank you. Thank you, Steve, for your time today, too. Um, so if anything that I talked about today from a speech therapy perspective <laughs> is something that you want more information on, you would go to centralvalleystutteringcenter.com. The book and the process that's happening with this engagement uh, would be through juniorauthorsprogram.com, and we'll create a welcome page for your listeners, so juniorauthorspage.com slash TLL, and we'll do some ready-made activities for teachers involving some writing prompts. Um, we were also, for a lot of the teachers, we were providing the data from the votes, at, and they were turning it into math lessons, and so there were some really great things. And I'd love for any teachers that are involved to, to reach out directly. And, you know, if you are including it in your classroom, you know, send me a picture, send me a message. And, and those are such great ideas for that I can share to help other teachers have ideas about what, what it is. Cause I do get a lot of, um, a lot of teachers and administrators reaching out wondering how they can do it. And so the more ideas that we can kind of put together and show, it makes it more actively um, kind of available in that sense. And so, um, and then if we wanted to set up where we did a Zoom vote with, you know, the principal or with one of the administrators or somebody, that's always fun too, because kids, you know, the flyers that go out say calling all junior authors or future authors. And um, so everything there on the voting is on the junior authors program website. Uh, we have a Facebook page and so you kind of keep track of the videos there. Um, and then anyone who's on the updates, the email updates, that's what I would suggest as kind of a first step for anyone who wants to follow along is just, you know, throw your email in and then you'll get the updates on when votes come out, what the results are, what kids are picking, kind of where we are in the process. Um, as this event comes together for kind of the book launch and, and highlighting these young kids, uh, you know, then all the, the information will be sent out as well. Very cool. So I'll put that in the show notes. And can you remind them one more time where they go to find the TLL? Um, yes. Thank you. So juniorauthorsprogram.com slash TLL. Excellent. And, and so, you'll have your, your special gift waiting for you. Awesome. So listeners, make sure you go there so that you can uh, uh, go find that special gift and connect with uh, what Susie's got going on here. Really cool. So uh, Susie, before we finish up, I got two last questions I'd like to ask my guests. And first one goes like this. When life gets tough and you start getting so much stuff thrown at you that you may want to quit, how do you keep going? I love that question because that situation happens so frequently. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I think my response would be that if you're doing something that's bigger than you, it doesn't let you quit. And, you know, I mean, that's a very real and raw response from my current situation. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, nice. I like that answer. 
The, uh, it, the last question goes like this. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? And if so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Oh, reflecting on good teachers is amazing. What a great way to close out the show. A couple of people come to mind. Um, Mrs. Hardy, Mrs. McGee, Mrs. Porter, um, all of which were involved in my elementary school years and all of which I think were really instrumental in helping me feel seen and kind of know what it is I'm good at. And I was just incredibly shy as a child. And so kind of helping me feel, you know, included and um, they all just had such a wonderful way of doing that. And then my mentor and um, from Chicago, Krista Camilla that I had talked about, I mean, she's who I um, continue to kind of give all of my gratitude toward for everything that I have the opportunity to do professionally. So Yes, and thank you to all the teachers out there. It is such a difficult time right now to be teaching and to be in education, and especially when you are someone who cares really deeply about kids, and um, there's a lot of energy going out and not a lot coming back. And um, so just a really big heartfelt thank you to all the educators that are listening and the work that they're doing. Thank you so much for saying that. I love, love your... Uh talking about the people who made a difference in your life and, and, uh, and making that comment now. It's, uh, yeah, it's a ooh, different place. So, uh, um, and uh, very rough. Well, uh, Susie, it's great talking with you today. You know, what an amazing focus you have. Uh, you know, you've created from your life's work, this junior authors program to help take care of others. And at the same time, it sound, seems like it's getting bigger than ever imagined, which is really cool. You know, what a great purpose and direction you have. And I thank you for sharing today and wishing you the best in all that you do. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate your time. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.